0: Questions
2: you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: Greetings to everyone around the world, and we're welcome to another edition of. Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview, you know what to do by now. Just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. You'll get your login immediately, and you'll be able to have access to hundreds of interviews. Now, speaking of the number 100, Sanitas just celebrated its 100th interview. So, if you haven't checked Sanitas out, I would highly recommend it. That's if you want to unlock your full potential. Remember, it's your life. Take control. And tonight, we have a very, let's say, non-traditional interview with somebody who claims to be a pirate... And as you know, a parrot has a very different perspective of the world that we live in, a, a different perspective of the now. A few weeks ago, I received a message from this gentleman that I'm going to be introducing shortly, who said that he had some important message to share with the world. We spoke and we I was very tempted to have this interview and we have him here with us today. Usually I read a bio for every guest, but I would rather have him share his own bio with us, his story, his biography, and so on, and share that perspective that is so unique when somebody traverses the area or areas of the world that most people are not familiar with. And I'm talking about all the, the seven seas, all the oceans around the world. He spent decades there. So that, without further ado, I would like to introduce Anthony Cummins. Hello, Anthony, and welcome to Veritas.
0: Uh, Hello, Mel. Good evening, and hello to your listeners on Veritas Radio.
1: Well, thank you for being with us today. Why don't we start with your background? How does one become a pirate, Anthony?
0: Uh, Well... um, By accident, mainly. Uh, I, I I ran away to sea when I was fourteen, and uh, I'm from London.
1: Meaning, you ran away from home.
0: Yeah, I ran away from home. Ran away from from London when I when I was fourteen. I got on a big ship that was bound for Australia. My job was washing <laughs> the plates and uh, cleaning the the floor. Uh, When I came back from this uh, long trip to Australia, I had some problems because in South Africa I had been uh, arrested. I was only 15 at the time and I was arrested uh, because I was found wandering through um, an area for black people.
1: No, wait, wait, um, b- the- Before that happened, your mates took you to a bar, and that's how things ensued, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I'm trying to shorten it so we don't bore your listeners oh, sure. now. Uh, anyway, um, uh, I, I was trying to find my way back to the ship, and I wandered through a, an area. In those days, there was a thing called apartheid, where black people and white people were completely divided. Sure. And, uh, I found myself in a black people area. The the policemen came, they arrested me, and they locked me up. Uh, Because I was so young, they couldn't put me to prison, so they gave me six strokes of the cat of nine tails.
1: What does that mean, by the way? I read that and I couldn't understand what that meant.
0: It's a big, long bamboo cane that's split, so it's got sharp edges. You know, it's split so many times, so it's got these sharp...
1: Oh, Almost what they use in Singapore when you misbehave. No, this is worse than that.
0: And, uh, and they, they gave me six of those, but you only feel the first three. You don't feel the other three. You hear it, but you, your, your backside is so numb that you don't feel that. Anyway, um. Let's not get bogged down on that. It, the sure. fact is that I missed the ship. The ship sailed to Mozambique. Uh, they had to put me on an airplane and send me to Mozambique, and I was um, blacklisted from South Africa for life. And naturally, at the end of the voyage, when we a year later, when we came back to London from Australia and New Zealand, I was given a black mark. On my record for this event even though uh, I did nothing you know it was just total ignorance because of the black mark that I was given I found it difficult to find another ship to sail on so I spent many months sitting and waiting eventually I got onto a Swedish ship a little small Swedish tanker that was bound from London to the Black the North Sea and then into the Baltic and going to Russia. So I got on this ship and found to everyone's surprise, is another story here. It's a funny story, but I'm not gonna bore your listeners with it. That I had some skills that were even to me i didn't know i had them at the time the skills involved handling ship i i found that i could handle a ship in any condition i could you tell me where you want the ship i'll put the ship there and these skills became known to another captain on another ship who asked for me to be transferred to his ship Uh, he promoted me and I said okay and I went to join this other ship Swedish ship unbeknown to me uh, the captain of this ship was a pirate and although the ship seemed legal and everything above board in actual fact it was a pirate ship and One day, the captain put his arm around me one night and he said, I'm going to teach you. You're the one I choose. I'm going to teach you everything I know. And he did. And I became a pirate. And I've cut that as short as I could.
1: (laughs) And then after that, when people think of a pirate, everybody thinks that of their life, they have a parrot on their shoulder, they're missing an arm, there's this tradition out there an urban legend but and we think that all pirates are bad are all pirates bad anthony
0: well first of all um people think that piracy started with treasure island and finished with johnny depp in (laughs) fact in fact it's not like that at all hollywood would Projects this image and people and books have projected these images that people today see as a pirate when you say the word pirate, naturally you you have um, negative images uh, people who are drunk people who are raping and pillaging and robbing and sinking ships and and all kinds of negativity. But in actual fact, it's not like that at all. It's uh, it's uh, totally different. Uh, unfortunately, uh, pirates uh, are an outlaw. To say that they're outlaw isn't enough. Uh, they are completely, totally placed outside of humanity. From the word go, be it because mainly because of religions, because we are we are um, anti religion. We have been anti religion since before Jesus Christ. So uh, we follow um, we follow uh, Solon, so and, and Solon was five hundred and fifty years BC. And Solon one day, he's, he, Solon, by the way, was the only, uh, Greek president, president of the Greeks in those days, who wasn't a theologian or he wasn't a poet. He, he wasn't a thinker. He was a businessman and he had ships and he thought differently. And one day he said, to his crew and his people, he said, you know, he said, the gods that fly down from Mount Olympus, why do we have to carry them almost to the top again? Why can't they fly back to the top themselves if they are gods? And that was the question that sent Solon onto an incredible adventure. Solon wrote the Ten Laws of Solon, and he is regarded as one of the six great sages of the time. In the Ten Laws of Solon, the third law is to create an association of Piran, I'll spell that for you, Mel, P-E-I-R-A-N, Piran. And this association was pulled together of explorers, traders, privateers, robbers, and all kinds of people who were on the sea at the time. And he put them all together, and he made them into this association of the Piran. The word piran is a Greek root word and has been bastardized through time into Latin and later...
1: To or pirate.
0: To be pirate. So Solon formed the first brotherhood of pirates. And he sailed with them for 10 years. Off he went to search for the gods, okay? He knew that the difference between the gods and him was a question of technology. And he knew that he had to find the port of the gods' flying ship because... (laughs) Simply because he wanted one himself. So that is how piracy was born. And that is what I was taught by my masters. And I I was taught by the master of the Swedish ship for six years. And not only taught (coughs) history, but taught about the sea how to connect to the sea, how to read the sea, how to understand the sea, how to converse with the sea and listen to what the sea is telling you. Now I have retired. So there are so many things that I can tell people that I couldn't tell them before whilst I was still working as a pirate. And that is why I've come to you, Mel, to tell you, or to to put on the table a few things that researchers and people like yourself who are looking into the the paranormal or or aliens or UFOs or whatever, it, that there's a big table of massive information, and I'd like to put on the table one or two things that are not there.
1: Let's begin with that. What's the first item to put on the table?
0: Well, the first item to put on the table is an understanding of the tides. Two-thirds of our planet is sea, an ocean. And it, it's treated, humanity treats this ocean in a terrible, terrible ways. We explode it with bombs. We pour toxic waste into it and plastic, and it's treated so badly that it's out of mind. People don't even think of it as anything other than a kind of dumping ground.
1: It's another toilet.
0: Something like that. Well, this is really bad because two-thirds of the planet being sea two-thirds of the planet is telling you so much information that people just don't see you know for every area 51 on the land you're going to find two in the sea for every ufo you see while you're sitting in the garden you're going to see two while you're on the sea it's twice as big So, therefore, everything is doubled. But when we come to the sea, the sea has a problem. It can't sit still and do its own thing because it's constantly being pulled to one side by the sun. And as the earth turns and the oceans turn they are the water is pulled constantly towards the sun creating a tide add to this the moon and the positions of the moon the water is also pulled towards the moon when the moon and the sun are relatively near each other in the sky then the effects of the gravitational that on the sea creates an even higher tide. Now, when we're on the beach and we see the tide come in and the tide go out, that's what it seems to do. But in actual fact, what is happening is we are entering into and coming out of this constantly high tide that's pulled towards the sun and the moon. Now, this is easy for people to understand, but what is going to be put on the table now is the fact that underneath the sea, underneath the surface of the planet, which is like an egg, we are sitting like we're living on the shell of an egg, and the egg is cracked and it's held together by gravitational forces because underneath the shell, underneath this planet's surface is magma. Now, magma represents 96, 97% of the entire planet. The magma is liquid. It's a lot thicker than the sea and It moves a lot slower, but it's liquid. And therefore, it it adheres to the same laws as any other liquid. And it too is drawn by gravitational forces towards the sun and the moon. So if you have a high tide today at 12 o'clock, for example, then under your feet under your feet, under the shell that you're standing on this planet, the magma too is having a high tide. At the same time as the earth turns and the tide goes out, there is a low tide under your feet. The magma too will have less pressure pushing upwards. Are are you saying that
1: it mirrors?
0: Absolutely identical. I'm almost speaking Italian because I'm in Italy at the moment. Sure. So let's take, for example, two days ago in San Francisco, there was an earthquake magnitude 4. So anything over a 4, you can measure this. Now, the earthquake... Place at um fifty minutes before low tide. Now the earthquake was down movement, which means that the magma underneath the shell at that moment, by chance, was light, allowing the crust that that, that, that San Francisco is sitting on, like the bow of a ship going up and down, went down slightly, creating this earthquake about 2 months ago there was an incredibly similar earthquake 4.2 in the same place more or less it's you know about 50 miles away but that was an upward so at that time the high tide let me have a look here the, the high tide i think this was july july the 21st was 9:41 50 minutes difference from the high tide of the sea. So you see, the two things are mirrored.
1: Are you saying that we could actually pin, pinpoint, if you go back in time and look at the earthquake records, we could actually pinpoint tight, high or low to pinpoint the, the when earthquakes happen?
0: Yeah, Mel, I'm I'm not a scientist, I'm not a mathemath- mathematician, I don't come here with a white coat and a clipboard. I, I come here to give people the possibility to look into this. So if there are any mathematicians and people interested in this, they, they could now go and look at this and come up with a system that could perhaps, yes, well, w- within an hour, within an hour, you know, perhaps an hour and 10 minutes, um, it, could predict that tomorrow there is an extremely high tide, for example, because the sun and the moon are in this particular position. And we could predict that if there's going to be an earthquake, it will be uh, the time of high tide.
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. Could we go back Mm. in time and take a look at the position of the sun and the moon and perhaps find a common denominator between that and earthquakes? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Now what I have to say is uh, really enters totally into your area of competence. In the last two or three years, we have seen a dramatic increase in earthquake activity and volcanic activity around the world.
1: And it's still going.
0: And the increase is increasing and it's uh, a steady increase. But it's still increasing. Now, why would this happen?
1: This this can only happen, Mel. Unless there's another exterior force. Unless
0: there's some other force that is adding its weight to the sun and the moon. So they are making forces underneath the shell that much greater or that much weaker in the case of a low tide. And therefore the magma that's underneath us is being pulled and pushed by a third entity a third something that has already entered into our solar system
1: and what do you speculate is that object
0: well um uh when i when i first um retired, which is uh, just a couple of years ago, I started looking at the information I have and and how it can be viewed. And I came across the the stories that I'd already read, uh, read about Sitchin and other people with about Nibiru, mm-hmm. this so-called 12th planet that... Unfortunately, it would be really nice if it was Nibiru, because we could probably do something about it. But I don't believe it is Nibiru. I believe it is something perhaps even bigger. <laughs> you see, the information we have, uh, Mel, as pirates, is so broad-spectrum, and it's, in itself... It's good for us, it helps us work, it helps us understand, we speak to the sea, we speak to the animals, we speak to the birds, we, we converse with everything. We look at a coastline, we understand what happened. Um, I don't really know where to start, so what I'm going to do is I'll start with something everybody can identify, that's the Great Flood. Okay, shall we start there? Sure. Now, the great flood is um, universal. It's universal in as much as it's there are stories about it in Japan, in Peru, in in what was Sumeria. And it's, it's it's a world event. It's not a localized event. This event supposedly happened. Uh, Thousands of years ago. Now, if it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, if, as uh, writers uh, surmise, it was the melting of the ice caps or an asteroid that melted the ice caps or all these other things that they surmise and they write books about and, and... I've written a book, but I'm not a writer. So I'm really happy to be able to to say this on your program, Mel. The fact is, with any flood, the water comes up, it floods the place, people are going to die, sure. Then the water goes down, it recedes. And you clean out the house and you start again. A flood could never, ever destroy what was destroyed. The only event that could destroy civilizations to the extent it did is a tsunami. Because a tsunami is different from a flood in as much as And I'm talking about a world tsunami, a tsunami that goes around the planet, not just goes up a beach and goes back again, something that really goes on and on and on. Well, a tsunami, when the wave hits, it knocks down a tree. Then the wave and the tree knock down two more trees, and then the wave and the three trees knock down 20 trees, and then until the wave is actually trees in, Exponential. in buildings, and, and there's very little water. It's just a whole lot of rocks and mud, and, and, and whatever is in its way, it just gets flattened. This was the reason for building pyramids. This was the reason for backfilling uh, Topepigepi. I, I probably s- pronounced that wrong. because I'm not Tepe? An yeah, that's the place. Um, because that way it can be preserved because the tsunami will just go straight over the top of it and then afterwards you can come and dig it out. A tsunami will also wash up and destroy all the forests and everything. Everything's going to be destroyed, and all the forests and wood will end up at the end of the tsunami when it's all finished in various places, and so will all the animals in life. The animals in life will become waterlogged in about three or four months, and they'll fall to the bottom and get covered by silt and become oil that we pump up and put in our cars.
1: Well, that's if you believe that fossil fuels come from from extinct dinosaurs without that. No,
0: uh, uh, dinosaurs we talk about that after after I've got I can tell you about dinosaurs, okay. but the thing the thing is that the the oil comes from animals. People they don't want to they want you to know that because it doesn't sound good. But it comes from animals. It takes uh, very little time, even nine hundred years to 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 change the, an animal corpse underground into methane and oil. Um, anyway, the wood takes a lot longer because it floats a lot longer. It uh, even takes years, and therefore settles. When it does settle, it becomes coal. So, only a tsunami can do the destruction that was done. According to the lost civilization people by the flood. And there is nothing else that can cause the tsunami other than other uh, such a tsunami other than a heavenly body creating an enormous high tide that becomes a tsunami that goes all the way around planning.
1: But if it's a, let me interject if I might, if it's, a, if it's a celestial object that approaches, I would assume that there would be two things. If it's a meteor, it would be rather quick. It would splash and would create, as you say, probably a, a global wave or a tsunami. But if it's a, let's call it a 12th planet, if, if what Sakarya Sitchin was right or... It, if it's Nibiru or something else, it approaches slowly, perhaps creating earthquakes, volcanic activity, and so on. But it would not create the amount of splash waves that a meteor, a large we're, meteor, we're would not, create.
0: We're not, we're not talking about a splash wave here, Mel. What we're talking about is um, uh, you, you have half of your high tide is created by the sun. Half of your high tide is created by the moon. Now, let's add another moon into the same position or a worse position.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Then that high tide now becomes twice its size. And that high tide is moving. It's, It's not moving, but we are moving. So the high tide remains there like a tsunami it doesn't move and the planet moves around so that tsunami seems to be crashing in as the mo- as the as the planet turns around i wish we were on video then i could draw you a design um the 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 positioning of an object in the heavens such as the moon will create a high tide that will become a tsunami
1: but would that high tide go up or down gradually I and mean, that's what i'm saying if it's it, not, if it's gradual then it would not impact as hard as if it was a real tsunami in other words it well, would be a flood uh,
0: it's it's uh, it's uh, the, the tsunami isn't a crashing wave it's a force of water uh, i don't know if you've seen the japanese uh, videos I have and many. Well, it's this there 's no big wave it 's just this force of oncoming water with all the rubbish and buildings and floating stuff with it mm-hmm. that doesn 't stop it just keeps coming forward and forward and forward, and it just crashes everything under its weight slowly all on its way now, the height of this would depend entirely on the positioning of the third heavenly body. Now, in the case of Nibiru, it's stated quite clearly in the Enki texts that this was going to happen, like they had uh, warning, time to do something. You wouldn't have time if there was an asteroid coming down. You've got the time that seeing the asteroid until it hits you, you haven't got time to backfill temples or build stuff or evacuate. You haven't got time. In this instance, it was known what was going to happen. It was programmed what was going to happen. So they had time.
1: If they had time... How I did they know? How did they know that it was coming? Did they have historical precedent to predict that it was coming?
0: Well, um, uh, I believe that uh, the si- the situation of the of the Nibiru story is so corrupt, it's so outlandish, it's so ridiculous that no one seemed to know exactly what they were doing, and. Um, Well, you know, uh, I believe personally that the planet Nibiru is, is not a planet as such. It's a, it's a ship. It's a planet sized. It's a, it's a planet that can be navigated around the universe.
1: If it's a ship and it can be navigated, why is it that we talk about, and again, this is if you believe Sitchin's story, why is it that it comes allegedly every 3,600 years? Why would If it's a ship and you can navigate it, wouldn't there be a difference of, of intervals?
0: um no that that 3600 years was supposedly its orbit that uh, while it was here in our solar system it remained in that orbit of 3600 years but it came uh, supposedly from another system that was blasted off which is total bullshit really it's uh, it couldn't happen uh, it was it came here damaged completely damaged. The captain of the ship, they call his name Anu, he brought that here, put that in orbit, and let's get the ship repaired.
1: With what, gold?
0: Well, that's what they say, and it's quite interesting that um, uh, recently they found that the gold, gold has um, uh, the capability of reducing radiation, atomic radiation. So it's possible, that story. But I don't want to go into that. Uh, I, I just go into the situation that it came, it repaired itself, and it left. It's quite clear in text that it actually left. And when it left, it didn't say goodbye, off we go, have a nice time. No, it left, placing itself very, very close to our planet and creating the flood, which was actually a tsunami. Now, it would only do that if it was actually leaving. It, it left, and it's not coming back. <coughs> One of the reasons it's not coming back is because um, this Nibiru and the Yankee people came to this planet after this planet, had already been seeded and organized by another entity. One has to go back a long, long time. People go back, they say, oh, to Nibiru, 3,600 years, 300,000 years uh, civilization. No, no, what you've got to do, well, you got to go back to Genesis Day 1 and start again because people are too confused. Um... Before Nibiru came here and these people interfered, there was already an ongoing program. This ongoing program had created life on this planet, had, uh, had created the, the dividing of the seas. It had created uh, the planet was ready to take on life. And when the bureau people came here, they of course they found the uh, Homo erectus, and they did DNA stuff, and they made Homo sapiens sapiens. I think everyone's more or less agreed on that. But the fact of the matter is that Homo erectus was already here. So were the animals. So were the birds. So were the trees. So was everything else. So. Where did that come from pre-Nibiru? So, you know, uh, let's, as I say, let's go back to Genesis and day one. I don't think there's many people <coughs> who believe page one of the Bible, Genesis, when it says on the first day God made heaven and earth. He created heaven and earth. Well, I don't even think the priests actually believe that. But pirates do. Because we see things differently. If somebody came here and discovered this planet, that somebody would put an X on his star chart marking the existence of this planet for the first time, thereby creating heaven and earth. He created us in that moment by putting an X on his star chart. So you see where I'm coming from, Mel?
1: Are you saying that it was not created but visited and is a change of wording?
0: It's A, a day is a visit, you know. The first right. day, the second day, not necessarily a week, you know. So the first day he came here, he created heaven and earth by by putting up oh, by discovering the planet, put an X on it, he then reports back, goes back to where it 's come from, and says we found this planet, so they come along the second day, and they start a creation operation, and on the second day, they divided the waters they 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 uh, once again, if I had a design next time let 's go on t v because if I had I could show you with a design that the earth was rather like the moon in as much as one face only always faced the sun. It went round the sun in an orbit with one face only ever facing the sun. What that meant was that on one side of our planet it was extremely hot. On the other side of our planet, it was 300 degrees below freezing. So on the 300 degrees below freezing side of our planet, mountains and rocks and earth was formed by the magma to protect itself from 200 degrees, 300 degrees, 400 degrees below freezing, whatever it was. On the other side of the planet, it always faced the sun. It sweated and produced water, what we call the oceans today. And the, the mantle, the crust of the, of the planet was that much thinner because it had this hot water on top of it. And when I say hot, it was extremely hot. The center of this one ocean facing the sun all the time was hot and therefore the magma was quite happy to just produce a small, thin shell underneath this water to protect itself. Of course, in such a situation, life could only ever exist then along the shores where the cold and the hot came together along those shores. So what was done on the second day in Genesis, is God came on the second day and he divided the waters. So he the the one big ocean, two thirds of the planet, suddenly became two. That means that
1: um Atlantic and Pacific.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we all know the story that that's happened and whether it was done by an asteroid or whatever the technology they used it was done at the same time of course this effect gave us our rotation so we no longer faced the sun one way we now had this spin and wobble which we still have this strange wobble from this being hit by something to make a spin and therefore the planet was ready to start a creation program
1: great question let me interject apologize for doing that but I no, before, the, before the thought leaves my mind why do you think that for thousands of years and this is written in all pretty much all the ancient books and it wasn't until the 1500s that it was determined that the 1490s or 1500s it was determined that the planet was a sphere, and before that, the normal notion was that the planet was flat. What do you think happened there?
0: Um, uh, I think uh, you uh, you're t- touching on interference. It's called forgetfulness. If you remember, um, humanity was several times in its history was given by God, by you know, by the God of the Jews, even forgetfulness. So, um, I think this falls into that category. Uh, I think you'll find that uh, 2,500 years ago in the time of Solon, who I follow, uh, everybody knew the world was round. But we, we went from round to flat. And even today, there are some people who, who believe it's actually flat or even hollow. And, uh, well, I, you know I find it difficult to
1: accept that. I find it difficult to accept it because the first time I went to school, I saw a sphere, I saw a globe, I collect globes. It's so embedded into our psyche at the same time. I have to ask you this, and, and I don't mean to deviate from what we're discussing, but I think it's important. A few days ago, somebody in uh, Nevada it was an amateur person who has the record of a, an amateur rocket that was sent to space 73 miles up. It broke a record. It had several cameras. You know, it had cameras looking around. But what struck me and many people was that You could see as the rocket is falling, you could see the moon. And when we take a chart of the time in which that rocket was falling, the moon was supposed to be over Australia. If it was supposed to be over Australia, how in the world can we see the moon over Nevada? Can you answer that?
0: I really can't and um the confusions we have are part and parcel of maintaining our confusion simple um you know it's like uh, uh if you're if you you I didn't mean hybrid. to throw
1: a rain at you by the way
0: No 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 absolutely um uh, I I just trying to avoid getting sidetracked into their argument it's uh it's uh there are a lot of arguments like that and there are a lot of strange things going on and i'll come if i may to that later
1: i'd it's rather fine.
0: finish. i'd rather you know go go from day two of genesis sure go ahead so you, you've now got a planet with divided seas and atmosphere clouds it's raining and everything's becoming nice and but there's no soil is there there's no there's no earth there's only rock and sand and stuff like that and powdered earth it's not earth you can't grow anything you can put seed there but it's not going to grow and so what you need is soil so the best way to do that, because the only thing you have are the marshes and the grass areas where the sea and the rivers meet. So you, you get a great big animal that eats moss and grass and you call it a dinosaur and you put that there and that is going to shit everywhere and in no time at all, because of this dinosaur, you will have earth and you can fertilize the sand and the rocks and you can start growing stuff and that is the reason for the dinosaurs without the dinosaurs you you're not going to have you're not going to have anything in growing on this planet so We've now come forward to the dinosaurs. So you've got to get rid of the dinosaurs. So what's the best way to get rid of the dinosaurs? So you've got writers and famous people that say, oh, there was an asteroid and it killed them all off. And there was this and it killed them all off. Now, well, you know, hold on a minute. Let's get back to pirate logic. The best way to kill the dinosaurs who are have have made all this soil ready to plant <coughs> is to create another dinosaur that eats dinosaurs so that dinosaur is going to eat the dinosaur and eventually they're going to eat each other and they're all gone very very simple it's ex- Extremely simple, provided you have time. And they of course, these people have time. They have all kinds of time. We, we, we're constricted to our 24-hour day, but they
1: have different time. So you're saying that the dinosaurs were placed here as a step into terraforming the earth by using Absolutely. the excrement that would actually uh, would, uh, would the, add nutrients to the soil and then... Well, after that's done, I get rid of
0: them. I spent a long time in Thailand. I have a house in Thailand, and I know elephants very well, and I've ridden elephants and I've watched elephants in front of me when they have a shit. Uh, let me tell you, it's big. <laughs> it's big, and it's because the the stuff they eat, like the grasses and stuff they eat, is is poor in nutrients, they have to eat a lot and they shit a lot. Um A dinosaur is going to shit five, six, seven times more than an elephant. So if you have dinosaurs walking around for a few thousand years, then obviously they are going to create a lot of shit, and that shit will be the basis for seeding the planet.
1: Well, that's exactly what it's done. Well, not in a macrocosmic level, but if you look at the Amazon- that's exactly what happens. All the animals, they eat the fruits, they excrete the seeds, the, the, the rivers come up and down, and there you have it, a big forest.
0: You have to start the circle, and the circle was started right. by the dinosaurs. So, so then you come forward, and let's go to the sixth day, shall we? let's uh let's go straight to the sixth day and the god he made man and he gave man dominion over the animals okay so in those times man and the animals were were very united they would eat together they would drink together they would understand each other and man could tell the animals what to do and more or less they did it like you would with a dog and then something happened and then something happened which could even be could even be explained by the book of gilgamesh if you remember gilgamesh he went off to fight the bad guy and he went with this his uh brother who was a kind of neanderthal who spoke with the animals and the the brother died and he went on his voyage to try and bring this brother back to life but it was too late that was the end the neanderthals were finished so be it the enki situation with nibiru who um mix their DNA with this Neanderthal to create Homo sapiens sapiens, it's obviously not the same program as the original program of Genesis, which brought us to the sixth day. It's obviously a secondary program that has been brought in by pure chance because of these people on this so-called Nibiru who had a problem and had to come here and uh, repair their whatever they needed, gold or whatever. And during the course of this event, interrupted the original program by interchange of DNA with the original Neanderthal-type human, which produces us today. Now, the reason this Nibiru created the flood, the reason he wanted to destroy humanity, which is pretty clear, the reason he did this is because he knew or they knew they had interfered with a program much bigger than this, which means that they were kind of trying to get rid of the evidence. Let's wipe these guys out, and then when the original owners of the planet, the original gods or creators of this planet come back, they have nothing to do with Nibiru. They, they can, like, disappear quietly. What I believe is happening right now is the original owners of the planet, the original programmers who have spent millions of years in organizing this planet for whatever reasons they had, have come back. And what they have come back to was totally unexpected.
1: What do you think they expected?
0: They expected Neanderthal man. They expected everything to be nice and peaceful like it was uh, when they left it here, with Neanderthal man here and the animals... And all their whatever they were doing, going according to plan.
1: Are you saying that they didn't have a way to know what was transpiring within the time they left and now coming back?
0: I don't believe so. I believe that for us, 300,000 years or 3,600 years orbit of Nibiru is, is such a long time. We, we can't, we, we, we can't really imagine 300,000 years, you know. It's so difficult when we only live, you know, I'm now 70. I've retired last year. And, and so we, we think of our lives and, and we just can't
1: comprehend time. It's like a mosquito to us, a mosquito's lifespan.
0: Yeah, or a mayflower, which lives for a day. And that day, he has to find a mate. He has to make the mate. He has to lay the eggs and, and continue again. And we are like that. We, we, we don't comprehend the time. So 300,000 years for the original, let's talk about the original creators of the planet, is kind of nothing. And uh, now they've come here, there's a, an enormous uh, problem. And um, it becomes extremely complicated. And uh, I've written a book called The Thirteenth Day, which later we can, we can plug, but it, it's so complicated that it's easier to, to use witches and wizards to say things rather than the normal words from a normal pirate.
1: Why did you do that? Why did you create fiction as opposed to just telling it like it is?
0: Well, I tell it like it is, but through the mouths of animals and witches Mm -hmm. and wizards uh, because they're more credible. Uh, I'm not
1: credible you see. <laughs> because you were a pirate is that why
0: well yeah you know when I retired when I retired Mel a parenthesis that's in it's it's changed the the seriousness when I retired I said okay now I'm retired I can say all this shit you know I can I can get out there and I can say all kinds of stuff that I couldn't before so I made a website you've you've been to it and and, I, and all of a sudden No one believes, no one believes that there are pirates because they all think pirates are Johnny Depp. And I'm not like Johnny Depp.
1: No, there are pirates. I mean, you were discussing how Hollywood has changed it. But, you know, for example, in uh, uh, what's the Somali pirates, I have a friend, a fellow Englishman of yours in in England who was going around the world in his yacht with a group of people and they were actually uh, hijacked by pirates off the coast of Africa for a couple of months. So it happens.
0: Yeah, well, I've worked in Somalia. Uh, Greetings to Mark,
1: by the way. I'm not going to share his last name, but Mark, if you're listening, I know you are. I'm referring to, to you.
0: Yeah, hi Mark. Uh I'm really sorry what happened to you, but there you go. Um the story again of the Somali pirates is completely complicated and uh, uh whilst uh they are not real pirates, they don't belong to any World Brotherhood of any kind, they do have our sympathy uh, in as much as the reasons for being, the reasons they became pirates in the first place, uh, in our view, was quite uh, legal. They did the right thing. Uh, What happened to it, what happened to Somali piracy after that initial event? Uh, completely changed the situation and Somali piracy became in the hands of the terrorist Al-Shabaab movement and the Somali warlords. Uh, But the original Somali pirates who went out there were actually fishermen and these fishermen were in a desperate situation because all the fish had died and they couldn't catch any more fish. And the only fish that were around were the dead ones washing up on the beach, which they cooked and they ate. Surviving. Uh, to survive. And then, of course, um, after a while, these strange blue drums would move up onto the beach after a tsunami or two or a couple of storms <laughs> broken open. And the children would play with these drums, and after a few weeks, their fingers would fall off, so their little kids had no fingers; they had no fish to eat that the ocean that they what were these drums was
1: dead the drums what were they
0: The drums were dropped in there by um Italian mafia and uh, Swiss. Toxic waste was dropped into the sea at that area by many bad people with and the purpose
1: with the purpose of getting rid of it or not
0: actually getting get rid of it. It was too expensive, to too expensive. Toxic. But but they didn't do it. Uh, to, to,
1: they didn't do it to inflict pain on the people who lived in the coast of Africa. They just wanted to get rid of it because it was cheaper doing it that way than disposing it the right way. Uh,
0: absolutely. 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 It's a, a only a business. And uh, they were paid to get rid of it. They got rid of it. And then, of course, um, what happened next was the uh, the children's fingers were falling off. The wives were having miscarriages, and the fishermen were distraught.
1: What did the drums um, include? What did they uh, contain?
0: It, it's highly toxic stuff that nobody knows, but it's so high that it just killed everything it came in contact with, all the fish, mm. all the bottom of the sea, everything dead, you know, nothing there. It just killed the sea. And, and I'm a pirate, and we, we, we can't allow that to happen. So that's why I tell you this story.
1: and that's Well, hold right it right there, because we have, to, we have to break both segments. We have to break the first segment and the second segment. Okay. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to also promote your book and your website Go ahead, tell us what the website is and the name of the book. Well, the, so-
0: website, uh, the website is uh, Captain Tones, Captain T-O-N-Z dot com, Captain Tones On there, you'll see uh, my book and you click on the book and it takes you to the link. And it's a story, it's called The Thirteenth Day. Earlier, we're talking about Genesis, first day, second day, sixth day. This is the 13th day. This is what we believe is today, the 13th day, and what's going to happen and what's happening. And uh, it's a fairy story, and it's funny, and I hope you enjoy.
1: Well, a lot more when we come back. I'm sure that after decades in the ocean, you probably may have information about Unidentified flying objects, UFOs, or unidentified submergible, submersive objects, USOs, so much out there that we don't see here. And I'm sure you have your own experience. But also, let me just say before we take the break, when I was living in Singapore in the mid-90s, I remember taking a tour uh, with my master's degree class to a cargo ship. And uh, it was an English captain. And the moment we, we got on the ship, the first thing he said was, turn off your camera and I just thought hmm why is that and he explained how nobody carries weapons inside of the ship and then after the tour was over I took him on the side and said Captain why did you not allow me to film the tour it's for educational purposes and he goes well it's because of pirates we just can't trust anybody that comes into the ship if any pirate gets a hold of your footage they can use it against us and You know, we don't carry weapons and so on. I'd like to get your take on that when we come back. Folks, I'm here with... Yes, and we're here with Anthony Cummins directly from Italy, discussing his life as a pirate and the reality that we are not aware of, but he is. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest... Go to VeritasRadio.com, click on Members or Subscribe, or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas Store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, supplements, a USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas Member section. Enjoy.
3: Care for there just is not enough time to elevate your mind and clear out all the lies. You see, this stress is the key to all the powers that be they can move secretly. So if you let them conceal whatever is the deal behind the smiles and handshakes, we'll have a fight as feeling like a
2: me